0: So imagine this uh, silly scenario with me for a moment, would you? You purchase your kids some really expensive things that they they desperately want and desperately need. And and on the day that these things are delivered, you tell them to look outside. That uh, that there's some gifts being delivered for them. So they run out onto the porch, and and as the UPS driver is bringing the boxes up onto the porch, they're so excited about these gifts that before he can ever get them unloaded off the hand truck, they're opening them, and they see what they've always wanted and what they desperately need, and they look up at the UPS driver, and they say, thank you, thank you, and they begin to hug And kiss the UPS driver. That's a little bit like what's happening in ancient Corinth in this letter. And in our sermon text, Paul gives us three reasons to glorify God instead of the UPS driver. So take your copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Our sermon text this morning is verse 18 through 23. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age... Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So, let no one boast in men. For All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. That's God's word. The church at Corinth had a boasting problem. Now, to boast is to put confidence in something, to trust something, to see it as the source of something good, and then to rejoice in it, give praise for it, and glory in it the church at Corinth was misplacing their confidence and misdirecting their praise. They were hugging and thanking the UPS driver instead of God for what they had received. The church at Corinth boasted, trusted in, gloried in two things in particular so far in the first four chapters of this letter. They boasted in themselves, in their wisdom, in their skill set, in their human cleverness and talent. They boasted. They saw that as the source of the good things in life. And then they boasted in man. In particular... The, the spiritual leaders that they followed, Paul, Apollos, Peter, they saw those spiritual leaders as the source of the good things that they were receiving from God. The, the spiritual leaders were the, the ones in whom they had put their confidence, and so they were praising and glorying in, boasting in their favorite spiritual leader. do you boast in? Where's your confidence in life? What are you trusting in, really? So Paul, here in the first few verses of this, verse 18 through 21, he gives them two exhortations. And honestly, folks, this is just a summary of the first three chapters. So we've been talking about this for ten sermons now. This is such a big deal in Corinth that Paul took four chapters to write about it. That's more than 15 books of the New Testament just to deal with this one issue in Corinth. So... He gives them two exhortations. Look in verse 18 through 20. Exhortation number one, don't boast in yourselves. Don't boast in your own wisdom. You see there in verse 18, let no one deceive himself. They were being self-deceived about what? If anyone among you thinks that he is wise, where? In this age. And he talks about verse 19, the wisdom of this world. The Corinthian Christians were deceived thinking that the wisdom that they possessed was the same as God's wisdom. And Paul basically tells him tells them, no, your wisdom is merely human wisdom. They looked at their uh skill set, they looked at their intellect, they looked at their abilities, they looked at their um uh, uh the the marketable things that they had in in society and they said that this is what makes me uh, a good person this is where i get my status in society and and paul tells them no this is this that's just merely human wisdom not god's wisdom and so in verse 19 and 20 paul reminds them that man's wisdom is foolishness and futility and he quotes two scriptures you see there in verse 19 and 20 he quotes job 5 and psalm 94 And the essence of both is to say this. Man has created a scheme to live life apart from God's law and God's designs. Do you see that in our world right now? Do you see how we humans have devised a scheme? We've crafted a plan to live life apart from God. We don't need you. And these two scriptures... Job and Paul here, I mean Job and Psalms, Paul uses to say that man's own scheme becomes a trap that destroys him in the end. Man's scheme to live life apart from God is foolishness and futility. We can see this all the way beginning in the garden. Adam and Eve's grab for the the life that God seemed to be holding back on them ended up bringing on death. Their grab for life brought death. Every single way in which you and I try to live life apart from God will bring us to shame. So verse 18, Paul tells them you need to become a fool so that you can become wise. And that's if you'll remember our previous sermons, he's he's showing that God's wisdom, Jesus Christ and him crucified seems like foolishness and weakness to man, but it's actually the wisdom and power of God to make sinners righteous. And to restore us to a relationship with him again. Don't put your confidence in your skill set. Your intellect. Your work ethic friends. Turn away from trusting your own ability. And turn to Christ and him crucified. Embrace God's power and wisdom. Through the sacrifice of Christ. So that you might become wise. In God's eyes. So exhortation number one, verse 18 through 20, don't boast in your own. Don't be deceived. That that kind of wisdom doesn't make you a spiritually mature person. That's nothing but human wisdom. And, And then the second exhortation in verse 21, he says, don't boast in men, because here was the reality. And again, Paul has already spent three chapters talking about this. This is just a summary before he gets into the next section he says uh that the church was being torn apart over the issue of spiritual wisdom and spiritual maturity. People were kind of judging themselves against each other, deciding who was the wiser, more spiritual ones in the bunch, who had the, the uh the the closer relationship with God, who they were kind of putting themselves in classes and statuses. And it was all based on not just spiritual wisdom and spiritual maturity, but what spiritual teacher they followed. So in chapter one, verse 12, if you haven't been with us, you can look back there and you'll see that there were four groups kind of like parties, political parties, except these were, I don't know, religious parties that were were like, you know, thinking that they were all that. Some would say, I follow Paul. I belong to Apollos. I am of Peter. And then another group that said, I, we don't have any need for human teachers. I just follow Christ. And so you remember uh, last week or two, we we, uh, we said that in chapter three, Paul, sort of like Goldilocks and the three bears, um, he gave them a perspective that was not too high and not too low, but one that was what? Just right. So some people viewed human leaders, human spiritual leaders, too high. They they based their spiritual status on the fact that I listened to Dr. So-and-so. Some people had a view of teachers that was too low. They were self-sufficient. Said, I don't need any human teachers. I only need Christ. And so in chapter 3, where we are, Paul is giving them Three metaphors that shows them the perspective that is just right. The church is God's field. The church is God's building. The church is God's temple. Notice, God's, God's, God's. Paul, Apollos, Peter, what are they? They are God's servants in the field, craftsmen in the building. Ministers in the church. God's servants are not nothing. Nor are they everything. They're a vital part of the process. Just like the UPS man. But this is God's church. And only God can give the growth. Plant the foundation. Protect his church. Therefore, Paul says, boast in God alone. Not Paul. Not Apollos. Not your favorite celebrity pastor. So in our text, he is pressing home this point. That all that you have received, everything you've received. You have not received because of your pastor or your favorite podcaster. You have received uh, God's blessings by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Therefore, boast in God alone. No one else is worthy. Of your confidence or your praise. No one is worthy. Of your confidence or your praise. Can I say that again? No one else can handle. You putting your faith in them. Not that guy who's had a 50 year ministry. Not the best preacher on the radio. Not your local church elder. Only God. Can be the foundation. Of your confidence. And the recipient of your praise. So don't boast in yourselves. Don't boast in men. And then in our text at the end of it, verse 21 through 23, Paul gives three reasons why you should boast only in God and not the UPS driver. Three reasons. I've just taken 15 minutes to get to what I have considered one of the most profound statements that I have ever read and somehow have not really noticed in Scripture. This is phenomenal. So profound, so profound that I think we actually don't even believe it. Read with me again, verse 21 through 23. Let no one boast in men. Four. All things are yours. Like what? Whether Paul or Apollos, Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Notice the emphasis. Reason number one here's why you should boast in God alone. Reason number one because all things are yours. All things are yours. How many things? All things are yours. The emphasis at the beginning of that and the end of that is that all, A-double-L, things are yours. You see it twice. Verse 21, all things are yours. Then he gives a list and he emphasizes it again with all are yours. This, this list is not a thing A list that you choose from. This is a list of what you possess. All of these things belong to you. I'm not sure that we actually believe that, friends. Look at that list again. We certainly believe that some things are ours. We we certainly believe that important things are ours but not all things. And in this one profound sentence, Paul gives us a God-inspired theology of, quote, all things. Here's the gospel. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ has reversed the curse on all things and restored all things back to God again. Jesus Christ has redeemed all things. This is not just this sentence. Rob read it earlier in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. He said this, the gospel of Christ is God's plan for the fullness of time to unite, are you ready, all things in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. Paul talked to the church at Colossians, uh, Colossae about this in chapter one, verse 19. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And are you ready? Through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace By the blood of his cross. How many things are reconciled? All things. How many things are united and brought back, restored to God again? All things. Abraham Kuyper famously says... There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So whether we believe this or not, all things are ours. And to emphasize this, Paul gives a list. What do you mean, Paul? All, thi- all things? Are hours, what do you mean? First on the list. Paul, Apollos, Peter. They're yours. God has given you. His church, Paul, Apollos, Peter. You do not belong to them. They belong to you. Paul's flipping the language that he presented in chapter 1, verse 12. I'm of Paul. I follow Peter. I belong to Apollos. And he's telling them, no, no, no. You don't belong to them. They belong to you. God has given you these servants for your good. These teachers are yours. Receive them. Benefit from them. But remember, only God gives the growth. The world is yours. What? The world is yours? Every time the world is talked about, it's talked about either as the people in it Or the whole system. This is the cosmos. This is talking about the whole system. This whole thing. Not just the people. But this whole thing. He's been talking about the world over and over and over again. In chapter 1, 2, and 3. And every time it has a negative connotation. And now he says the world is yours. The world is yours in that it no longer exercises dominion over you. The world has been and is being redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will be restored ultimately to its original design. Listen to how John put this in 1 John chapter 5. The world is yours. John says this. For everyone who has been born of God. Overcomes the world. Does it say just Jesus overcomes the world? No. What's the word there? Everyone. Christian, that's you. Everyone who has been born of God. Overcomes the world. And this is the victory. That has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The world is currently oppressing its citizens, blinding us. This is the dominion of Satan, the God of this age, and it exercises dominion over us. But not anymore, Paul says. The world Christian brothers and sisters, is yours. Jesus in his high priestly prayer, John 17. My disciples are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. You see how he's making a difference between the, the people of the world and the system, the cosmos? My disciples are not of the world, just as I am not of this world. And so he prays. I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And just as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Christian, the world is yours. Live in it as citizens of heaven and ambassadors of Christ. Life is yours. See the list? Paul, Apollos, Cephas, they're yours. Okay, we we got that. He's made his point. Hmm. Paul wants to go hyperbolic here. He goes, not just them. The world is yours. What else? Life. Life is yours yours. Life is no longer, as Ecclesiastes describes it, a meaningless hamster wheel of work and weariness. Work and weariness, and then we die. In Christ, we have new and abundant life Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, now we too, what? Walk in newness of life. Christian friend, life, this life, right here, right now, your life is yours. Live it. With gratitude and joy. The world is yours. Life is yours. Death is yours. Did you check your page? Maybe I've got a typo here. Death is yours? Is death ever spoken of as a gift as a death is the enemy what are you talking about verse 22 the world life or death all are yours death belongs to you yeah christian friend death is no longer the end not anymore it isn't Death is no longer eternal separation from God and the final judgment for sin. Not anymore, it's not. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, death has no more sting. Death It is now like a door that ushers us into the presence of Jesus Christ Himself. Three years ago, a man named Craig Sweeney sat on a chair right there and told the story about a terminal cancer that he was living with and fighting. Do you remember it? How many of you remember Craig Sweeney coming? Craig Sweeney died this past Wednesday but he has never been more alive Craig Sweeney's not dead he's never been more alive oh death where's your victory oh death where where's your sting sting of death is sin the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ and for christians paul says listen for me to live and that's christ but to die is gain Do you really believe that? To die is gain. He's going to add another word to it. He continues this, this uh, little paragraph in Philippians 1. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, here and now, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am in a hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ. I'm quoting, for that is far better. It's not just gain. And it's not just better. It's far better. And I can believe that. But I'm not sure I really believe that. and Feel that. Christian friend, just like life is yours, death is now yours. Face it with all the confidence, certainty, and hope knowing that Jesus has defeated death so that you and I can live forever. The world is yours, death is yours, the present is yours. The present is yours. The present, the here and now, is no longer passively experiencing the good and bad of what life has for us. Just like waves, the ebb and flow, good and bad we have been given the present as a gift, as a present, as an opportunity to actively, not passively, and intentionally glorify God. Knowing that in the good and in the bad, God is accomplishing his good purposes. The present is yours, Christian friend. Seize it. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Not only is the present yours, but the future is yours. Do you see that in the text? The future, it's yours. It belongs to you, it no longer looms. As a source of uncertainty and anxiety. Now the, the future is in the sovereign control. Of your father. In heaven. And regardless of what happens in the future. For every Christian. The future is the sure promise. Of the one who sits on the throne. Who says. I am making all things new. The future is yours. Anticipate it. Prepare for it. Delight in it rather than fearing it. All are yours. Do you see how not only do I say this is profound, but I'm not sure we really believe this. Because I'm not sure we really live this way. And you know you actually live what you believe. And you don't actually believe it unless you act on it and live it. All things are yours. How can this be? Reason number two. Because you are Christ's. Isn't that beautiful? How did I get this? Why are these teachers ours? Why church? Why is the world ours? Why is life and death present and future. Why is it ours? Because we, collectively as his church, are Christ's. We now belong to Christ's. We've been united with Christ by God's grace and through the response of faith. And that's the only way that you have all of these things. There's no other way. They only come by grace through faith in Christ. If you're not Christ's, These things are not yours. They rule over you and dominate you and and cause terror in your heart. Paul has been emphasizing this in all the chapters so far. Chapter 1, he's talking about the work of God's grace. Chapter uh, 2, he says, Because of him you are in Christ. So let the one who boasts... Boast in the Lord. In chapter 6, Paul will say, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are Christ's. He purchased you with his blood. Rob read for us this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. That long, beautiful Magnificent list of all of the things that we have received, but all of them, why? In Christ, with Christ, through Christ, in Christ alone. Friends, being united with Christ changes everything. And you are Christ means you have been blessed with all things. And you are Christ means now you are secure because you belong to Christ just like an arm belongs to a body we are now members of Christ's body you are Christ's means that that you are Christ's in the same way that a husband and a wife belong to each other they're now in a covenant union of oneness no longer he and she But now we, one. Christ is our husband. We are the wife. We belong to Christ. And who or what can separate us from the love of Christ, Josh? No one. Notice what Paul says cannot separate you from the love of Christ. And by the way. I don't know if you ever struggle with this, but I do because I think my sin, how often it is and how pervasive and wicked it is might separate me from Christ. Paul goes to great lengths to show us that nothing and no one can separate us from the... Listen to. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither... Death nor life. Heard that before. Angels or rulers. Things present or things to come. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, this world. Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All things are yours. How is that? Because you are Christ's. By grace, through faith, time out. Are you? Really? Are you? Have you responded to Jesus Christ by faith? Have you turned away from your own ability to be a good person and save yourself and kind of earn God's favor? Have you turned to Jesus alone? As the one who can give you life and forgiveness of sins and victory over death? We show that through baptism and I can't wait until next week when one says, Amen. One more says, Amen. Church, all things are ours because we Are Christ's. Why does belonging to Christ. Give us all things. Reason number three. Because Christ. Is God's. (laughs) Now I don't know whether that's the foundation of it all. Or the pinnacle of it. I don't know. I think it's both. All things belong to you. Because you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Listen, our redemption is God's plan from beginning to end. It's all God's work. It's all God's grace. This was all God's idea. God said that that he was going to demonstrate his glory in the whole earth. Uh, Isaiah that we just studied recently said, I'm going to do this so that men might know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I'm the only one who can give you these gifts. You can't earn them and your spiritual teachers can't give them to you. Stop hugging the UPS driver. So, do not boast in men, but the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, Paul has said. This is all God's plan in the fullness of time. We celebrate the fact at Christmas time that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. God's plan through God's son. And when Jesus came at his baptism, you know what? God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then God took him one more time to the top of the mountain and revealed his glory and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, God Philippians chapter 2, highly exalted him because of his sacrifice. So that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Because Christ is God's our relationship with Christ and our relationship with God is as secure as Christ's relationship with God. Paul's given us three profound reasons that we should boast in God alone. Number one, because all things belong to you. Number two, Because you belong to Christ. And number three, because Christ belongs to God. That's why the Heidelberg Catechism begins this way. Question number one. What is our only comfort in life and in death? What's your only confidence, your only hope, your only true deep soul comfort in life and death? What you bring to the table? Your wisdom, skills, and abilities? The leaders that you follow? Answer that I am not my own, but belong body and soul. In life and death. To my faithful savior Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins. With his precious blood. And he has set me free. From the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me. In such a way. That not a hair can fall from my head. Without the will of my father in heaven. In fact. All Things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. All things are ours. We are Christ's and Christ is God's. That's God's word. Amen. Let's pray together. What we've talked about this morning is profound beyond our imagination. I want to thank You that by Your grace You sent Your Son to save sinners like us so that we can now have all spiritual blessings in and through Christ. I pray that we would boast in You. I pray that we would put our confidence in You, not our ability to be good and do right. Please help us to trust you to save us and not strive every day to try to save ourselves. And I pray that not just our lips, but our whole life would give glory and praise and honor and thanksgiving to you rather than anything or anyone else. May you be praised. It is in the name and through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray and all God's people said, Amen.